Hello and welcome to the Garden in a City podcast. For today's episode, I will be answering the nature questions asked by San Francisco Schoolhouse's kindergarten and first grade classes. The first question that I will be answering is, are most mushrooms poisonous? The answer to this question depends on how you define a poisonous mushroom. While a large percentage of mushrooms can make you sick, only 3% are deadly. Mushrooms are a nutritious food for animals, and to avoid predation, many mushrooms have evolved natural defenses. Some mushrooms, like turkey tails, are tough and leathery. This makes them hard for animals to chew, so very few animals are able to eat them. Meanwhile, others, like the destroying angel and death camp, are very poisonous and can kill animals that eat them. Because of this, almost no animals can eat the destroying angel and death cap. This might seem good for a mushroom, but many mushrooms spread their spores through animals. For example, truffles have evolved specifically so that small animals will want to eat them and aid them in spreading their spores. So it's a trade-off for fungus. Should the mushroom be so poisonous that it is not eaten and not at risk of being eaten before its spores are produced? Or should the mushroom be edible so that animals can spread the spores, but at risk of being eaten before the spores are ready? This brings me to the second question that I will be answering. How do you know if a mushroom is poisonous or not? This question is harder to answer. It might seem that poisonous mushrooms would be easy to spot with dangerous looking colors that make you stop before you pick them. But in reality, there's no way you can look at a mushroom and tell if it has the characteristics of a poisonous species. Many of the popular mushrooms for eating are weirdly shaped and brightly colored, while many poisonous mushrooms are dull and bland looking. There is also the issue of lookalikes. When a non-toxic mushroom evolves to have the same characteristics of a toxic mushroom so that it will not be eaten. And on top of this, even poisonous mushrooms that do not usually look like their non-toxic counterparts can look similar in different lighting or conditions. For example, a death cap that gets bleached by the sun can look like a safe-to-eat mushroom that is usually a much lighter color. Because of this, even with a field guide, it is very hard to be sure what species a mushroom is. Only experts on mushrooms can really make a good identification of a certain species. The third question that I will be answering on the topic of mushrooms is about bioluminescence. Do all mushrooms glow in the dark? The simple answer to this question is no. Most mushrooms do not have this ability. However, in many places, you can find bioluminescent mushrooms. As I talked about in our previous episode, in the Bay Area, we have the Western Jack-O-Lantern mushroom, which glows green at night. One theory to why mushrooms glow in the dark is to attract insects. When moths, beetles, flies, wasps, or ants see the light shining in the dark, they are attracted closer to it. When these insects land on or crawl onto the mushroom, they might brush its spores. To make more mushrooms, 
Mushrooms need to spread their spores, and these insects help them do that. Our last question about the topics of mushrooms is about their importance. Why do we need mushrooms? There are many reasons that we need mushrooms, from being a food source to a decomposer, but one specific one I would like to highlight is their connections with trees. In what is called a mycorrhizal relationship, mushrooms send out fungal threads, which either encase or penetrate the roots of nearby trees. These mushrooms can do this with multiple trees, forming a network of fungal threads and roots. Using this network, trees can signal to each other about danger, transmit nutrients, and even trade nutrients with fungi. For example, trees can give fungi extra sugars that they produce through photosynthesis, while the fungi can give the trees nutrients that they take from the ground. Mycorrhizal networks even work between conifers and deciduous trees, with deciduous trees having, giving sugars to the conifers when they can produce a lot with their broad leaves in summer, and conifers giving sugars to the deciduous trees when they still retain their, their leaves in the winter. The next question that I will be answering is related to why plants grow at the times that they do. What happens to everything that, after spring? For this episode, I am going to specifically talk about what happens to wildflowers after spring. Wildflowers are annuals, meaning that they sprout new plants every year that live for a year, year or less. Wildflowers begin as seeds in the ground. After the heavy rains of winter, their seeds begin to sprout and form plants. In late winter and early spring, Wildflowers begin to grow their buds, and in spring, they blossom and are pollinated in different ways. After they are pollinated in the spring, they usually dry up in summer and their seeds are dispersed. But what happens to the seeds? Wildflower seeds sit dormant until the next rain. This could be months, years, or even many years, and because of the big rains this year, we are seeing many wildflowers right now. The last question that I will be answering is specifically about this podcast. Why did you choose to make this podcast? I chose to make this podcast because I want to teach people about our amazing nature in the Bay Area. In each episode, I try to teach people about a different element of the Bay Area's ecosystems. That's it for today's episode of Garden in a City. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Garden in a City podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great day.